The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Welcome to Brown Table Talk. I am D.C. Marshall, founder and CEO of Diverse and Engaged, a Wall Street alum, LinkedIn, top voice and top WBE CEO. I am here with my co-host, Mita. Hey there, Mita. Hey there, D. I'm Mita Malik, a business leader, a DEI champion, and most importantly, a working mother. And as you all know, if you've been following the show, Mita and I started Brown Table Talk as a place to spill the tea on the hard truths women of color face in their workplaces. So you all know I share from my perspective as a Black woman and Mita, her view as a South Asian woman. At our table, we unpack it all. We won't leave any juicy details out. And then we provide you coaching that you need to thrive in organizations. And today, we have a very special episode for all of you. Mita, what are we talking about today? Or should I say, should I say, who are we talking with today? Okay, so D. The topic we'll be unpacking today is workplace trauma is real. Believe us. And you and I have talked about this so many times over the years. I don't remember how many audio messages we've exchanged. And we've also just touched on this theme of workplace trauma at the Brown Table Talk podcast. And, you know, we thought for this topic, for all of you listening in our community, we wanted to bring in a guest and not just any guest, but award-winning actress, advocate, author, entrepreneur, mother, and so much more. Let's give it up for Gabrielle Union. Gabrielle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited. Thank you for supporting our podcast and for entering this conversation. And you know, Gabrielle, we always start the Brown Table Talk podcast with a story. So here's our question for you. Have you ever dealt with workplace trauma or adversity? And if so, what did you take away from that experience? Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, I'll give you the worst case scenario, not to get dark so fast, but um, when I was, you know, when I was 19, a lot of people know this story, but when I was 19, I was raped at gunpoint at my summer job between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And what enraged me and what made me realize just how toxic of of a workplace it was before it got to that place was nothing was, was, uh, transparent. I was working at Payless Shoe Source. Those dumbasses didn't ask me to sign an NDA after I sued them and won. So I get to just call them out as much as I'd like. Also, why I'm choosing this particular workplace trauma uh, to talk about. They have particularly been hiring young, young women to work in their stores for peanuts, right? For very little money. And even though those stores would, you know, might be getting robbed, there was no, there was no care about the employees the, uh, for our safety. And here I am at 19, I, I'm just working. And I, I decided to cover for a friend uh, who was going to a Garth Brooks concert. 
And so I ended up working with a girl I, I didn't normally work with. And I chose this job at Payless Shoe Source because I didn't actually have to touch anybody's feet. And I thought, well, how much easier could this be? Selling shoes without having to touch feet? Done. Sign me up. And I was working with a bunch of my friends, except they all went, wanted to go to the concert. So I'm working this night, 19 years old. My dad and older sister happened to be down the street picking up things from the hardware store when a man came in who turned out to be a former employee of Payless Shoe Source, completely understood closing, understood that it's largely younger women who are there alone. Most of the stores do not have any kind of security measure. We don't go through like training. I mean, nothing. And we're doing drops at banks, you know, all cash. And so he targeted those stores because he knew how poor the protection was for, for us young women. And during closing, he robbed the store at gunpoint. And during the robbery, he made the decision to, to single me out and to rape me at gunpoint. Sometime during the rape, he put his gun down and very calmly asked me to pick it up and hand it to him. And at that point, it was like, mano y mano, like, fuck it, like, I'm about that action. And I kind of came back into myself. It was like, during the rape, I was like hovering over my body. And when he asked for the gun, it was like the, the me that was sort of floating above it kind of joined the me. And I gave him my best, you know, Jackie Brown impersonation. And, you know, we had a battle for the gun. Ultimately, the, he made his escape. The police came, you know, like a couple weeks later, he was apprehended and, and he's still in prison now. But when I found out that on that, on that day, I remember, you know, the front, the head office calling us and to, to change the price of a shoe, right? A canvas shoe from like, let's say $10 to $6. But they knew that this man had been targeting Payless shoe sources. Our store was like the third or fourth. They had a positive ID after the first one. And they didn't tell us that there was someone who was targeting these stores, a former employee. They cared more about a $10 pair of canvas shoes than, than us. And it was also at 19, I sued my first company. You know, I sued my first employer and won. Not a streak I'm proud of per se, but I am proud that I fight back. And, and I started this at 19. A lot of people think it, it, this is just, I'm, I'm new to this, that I just started pushing back on toxic work environments. But when you see what's behind the curtain at 19, there's no looking back. And when you decide to stand up once, it's kind of hard to, to stand down after that. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, thank you for sharing. And I'm speechless at uh, just the idea. You know, this this just gives us another angle about the workplace. I'm thinking of girls now. Mita, I know you have daughters. This is just, I'm, I'm really at a loss. But I will say, um, thank you for sharing and thank you for allowing yourself to be used in this way to really amplify not just trauma, but workplace culture and um, the risk. And so because we're here, you know, to talk about mental health, I really want to just ask, how did that experience and others impact your mental health? Because I know you, um, you've done a, a lot of processing this and you're really standing in your power and you're able to tell the story. But But if you could just share with us, how did it really impact your mental, your mental state? Oh my goodness. This July will be 30 years, right? It'll be the 30 year anniversary of, of my rape. I am still in therapy to this day. 
And in a sense, it's weird to say I was fortunate enough that workman's comp kicked in like within a couple days. So within the week, I was in therapy from the, from the time I was 19, but I'm still in therapy and it's 30 years, it's 30 years later, you know, full disclosure, the pandemic and watching people I know die and so many suffering, I would be lying to say that it it absolutely didn't trigger my PTSD. You know, I, I live in LA, one of my best friends and business partners was robbed. Like literally we left, we left, uh, you know, I was doing press. We left broad daylight and follow home robbery. They robbed him, you know, in his, in his driveway. And because we are so close, it, it triggered my PTSD. And it's like 30 years might as well be yesterday. So I'm still fighting. I'm still fighting this battle I did not ask for, but it has made me so dogged in my fight to protect workers. Um, and like, you know, trying to expose people to better, you know, trying to share resources with folks who may not know better, but they think there might be something out there that can help them be better leaders and better employers and better employees. <laughs> so that's where the fight comes from. Um, but it's, it's to maintain my peace, my sanity. And as someone who has always had a, a, a work ethic, I don't run from work. I, I actually love work. I, I love working with great people. I love leading. I love following, you know, great leaders at times. I know there's people out there, no, you don't like following, following, but I, I like to follow solid leaders. But, um, but it takes all of us to, to humble ourselves and be like, I don't have all the answers. So I need to talk to ladies like you. I need to talk to other folks who are examining other ways of doing capitalism, other ways of working, other ways of building and thriving. And you can't do that work without centering mental health. Gabrielle, one of the things Dee and I have often talked about on this podcast is the theme of gaslighting, which is a term you've also used. And I want for the viewers and our listeners, our fans of Roundtable Talk, just to hear from you, what does it mean when you talk about the word gaslighting in the workplace? And I'm sure it's connected to the experience you also just shared. And how does gaslighting impact our mental health and has it impacted your mental health? I think in the beginning, I didn't recognize it as the assaults that they are. You know, I think we, we kind of lump microaggressions and gaslighting kind of into this bucket of kind of reasonably harmless things that we just kind of deal with on a day-to-day basis as women of color and working people, right? Yeah. However, these are outright assaults on, on, our, on, our, on, our, on our sanity, which is yeah. kind of usually required to, to do our jobs. And so we need to treat them as the hostile assaults that they actually are, not some benign hiccup throughout Mm. a day. And part of it is we don't use proper language. We don't call a thing a thing. We are so hung up on making toxic people feel good um, about their toxicity and not wanting to upset the people that upset us daily. We associate call-outs with people getting fired or cancel culture, which I think is bullshit. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but I think it's bullshit. It's a a call-in. It's like, you're not getting fired. We all got to work here and be team players. And we all generally have one goal, and that's to make somebody a lot of money. Um, You know, we all have our parts to play. So I'm going to call you in before Mm -hmm. I knock you out. But Oh, yes. as someone who sues folks, yes, there's some checks I will gladly write, but I'm going to do what I can reasonably 
to educate. You know, we talk about, is this a, a situation that calls for me to educate or assassinate? And I'm talking about with my words. Mm. And my instinct is always to go for the jugular. You know, um, I feel like we're all grown. Yeah. <laughs> you are, no, you know, like you're not a child. You have the, the same access to the same resources I do that I look for for answers. You can do the same. And I'm not, don't add extra work for me that I'm not getting paid for. But I try. I try to educate. I try to lead the horses to water. But some people just want to, you know, want to go thirsty and not my problem. And you will deal with whatever those consequences look like. And if the consequences are a call-in of epic proportions, because I don't have the ability to fire your ass, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to use very clear words about the language actions, um, undercutting that is taking place. But we... We're not exactly always empowered to do that, are we, though? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, how do you how do you tap dance or put Band-Aids on the gushers that gaslighting actually is? They're not they're not little paper cuts. They're actual gunshot wounds that can undermine a whole career, you know, over time. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Gabrielle, I just have to jump in and underline, really underscore what you just said, what DC Marshall says at this table is call things by their right name, right? So D and I always talk about this. D's like, it's not an everyday aggression. It's not microaggression. It is racist behavior. Call it, it what is. it is. So I love that you said that about language. Deep over to you. Yeah, yeah. Because microaggression is an SAT word for racism, but you're so right. It's we use words. In fact, that's even on on a a larger platform, you know, just tiptoeing around fragility. But that's a whole nother conversation. I want to keep going with this conversation because there's so much we could talk about. But Gabrielle, why do you think? more leaders don't believe our stories or don't believe the stories of what brown and black women face in the workplace why do you think they don't believe <laughs> oh god this is this is this, this is like up there with what is war um <laughs> i think for some 
to believe us is to recognize their own complicity. Um, to believe us is to have to initiate change and real accountability. To believe us is to perhaps force them to look at their own career accomplishments that might not be as great as they might think. Mm-hmm. Because belief is power. There is power in belief. So why would you empower folks that you're trying to subjugate? Like, you know, so it's just there's a logic to it, which technically I get it sucks. But if you really want change, if you're going to talk that talk and you want all the smoke and you go to all the conferences and you want your company to pay for these conventions, you know, in Tuscaloosa where you get to get drunk and talk about your feelings and whatnot and then go back to your office and not actually change anything. A lot of these things are things that you should be talking about with your therapist, not with your coworkers. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of this is just transference that you haven't worked out with yourself and you're putting on to, you know, the people that you work with. Because to call a thing a thing and to believe us, ah, that's going to probably erode your power and your house of sand that you built your career on. Just dropping gems. Drop my job. <laughs> Mike, drop. You better come on here, Gabrielle Union. You better preach this word, ma'am. Oh, that was juicy. You know, Gabrielle, at this table, we have a lot of women of color who come. We have a big community that come for community and conversation. But what can those listening learn from what you're sharing? And really, how can they show up differently for women of color in their workplaces? We just talked about the belief piece. But what else do you think they could be learning right now from our conversation? I, I use the phrase ten toes down often. And it, and it just for, for the uninitiated, the ten toes down just means I have your back. Like I am, you know, some people have like one foot out the door. When you are 10 toes down, that means you are whatever happens is whatever happens. Like I have your back. You know what I mean? And not only do I have your back, I'm willing to stand in front of you sometimes and take those bullets. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm willing to push from the back, but mostly I'm willing to stand side by side in the fight because I understand that the more people that are on the right side of history, they, they, they really can't deny us after a certain point. They can pick one of us off at a time, a couple of us off. But when you know what it is to be 10 toes down and you about that action and you are, you know right from wrong, you know, because we teach it to our kids. And somehow along the way, those same lessons that we learn, we forget by the time we get to an office or we get around, yeah. you know, others. And it becomes this like mad dash to have all of the things and all of the toys. You know, and if we were to look at little kids hoarding all the toys, i.e. resources, opportunities, information, belief, power, you'd be like, this little, this, he's a demon. What a little pest. What, what, a, what his parents have failed them. You know what I mean? They've done a horrible job. We have to kind of use the same language for adults who exhibit the same behavior. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But without allyship, you know that you are a part of maintaining the status quo, which is really upholding white supremacy, patriarchy, misogyny, blah, blah, blah. People know what it is, but we don't do it because it's scary. It is risky. Mm -hmm. They will make a show out of those allies who stand in the gap. I'm not going to lie. There is, there is risk involved, Mm -hmm. but if you are really about that action, not just posting black squares, you know, on Mm -hmm. June 2th Mm -hmm. and God bless y'all for, trying to figure out what Juneteenth is. Um, But it goes beyond just a black square. You know what I mean? Um, If you're not really prepared to walk the walk and talk, you know, as much as you talk the talk, 
just save it. Let us identify you a lot easier. I, I just think that there's a lot of fear because they've seen what happens. They've been a part. I mean, it goes from shame to blame to firing to when it, if we're going to really get into it, loss of life. I mean, it, it, it can go all the, you know, but they do a very good job of, of showing you um, what they think of you when you stand in the gap, same way they think of us. How comfortable are you with being uncomfortable? How comfortable are you with taking the same risks that you implore women of color to take? I think a lot of people like to talk the talk and, and post things and retweet stuff. And, but when it really comes with sticking your neck out there, mm-mm, turtle time, Boop. only shell. Part of it is acknowledging, yeah, there is risk. There is risk involved in allyship. You know, there's, there's real risk involved in any change. But if we're going to keep wringing our hands and, and doing all the other things, we, we have to be about that action or step aside. Mic drop, mic drop. Ooh. Oh, 10 toes down. You just taught the whole lesson. I just want to circle back to, you know, mental health because it carries such a stigma. And I think as a Black woman, I would say, you know, uh, growing up Black mom and uh, growing up in the church, mental health, you know, it, it was there was just such a significant stigma. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are in terms of what can people listening do to help normalize talking about mental health at work? Because it's it's not something that is readily talked about. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, just make it a part of your normal conversation, right? We talk to our coworkers, we talk to each other all the time, but we tend to leave out, yeah, I talked to my therapist last night. We will give you a blow by blow of what our dog ate and what you know <laughs> dog poop looks like or whatever, what our neighbors are doing. We will give you blow by blow of all of it, what our kids are doing, kids games, teachers, all that. But we kind of skip over the part where we take care of ourselves. Uh, where we kind of, you know, I'm not feeling great today. I don't have it. Um, like I just started saying to, you know, like on different sets, Whew, it's not a work day, but I'm at work. Um, I'm just going to give you a blanket apology because I, I, I don't have it. You know, I don't have it today. I'm sorry, but I'm going to do my best. And then what are they going to do? It's just the truth. You know what I mean? It, it allows everyone to, to understand what we're what I'm up against. But it also creates the space where people are like, Girl, me too. This has been a really, you know, tough time. And, you know, where do you go? And where did you find this resource? And what have you found that, is, that has been helpful? Yo, I feel like my perimenopause or my menopause is, is really, you know, messing with my mental health. Like, what, did you, what have you found? And then, and then it just opens up a, a community where we can all kind of rely on each other, where I know what your job entails. And so when you add in added challenges in the same way that that we have that, oh, you know, where we as moms where, you know, somebody's kid is out sick or gets expelled or whatever, the way we all kind of rally be like, oh, girl, I understand. We can provide that that same community for folks who are dealing with mental health challenges, sometimes for the first time, especially during this pandemic, especially during this time where so there's just so much death. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. We are losing so many people across the board for all, all sorts of reasons. But we have to we have to be OK with being a part of a, a community that might be touching on things that m might make us uncomfortable because yeah. um, we haven't done that that work yet. But hopefully 
it can be kind of aspirational and, and I hate to make it sound like something that can be quantifiable, but where you're looking up to somebody who's, who's honest and open about their challenges and who shares their resources, shares their information, shares their journey, where you can be like, damn, like they're killing it at work, but also they live out loud for all of it, for all of what that is. Um, we have to stop judging people and, you know, uh, I know I have a number of spicy hot take uh, group chats that I'm currently on, but try to make sure that our work channels, our work social media can be a safe space. And, you know, if we're going to talk shit, take that shit off of any work related communication apparatus. So we're, it's not, we're not using it to, to trash anyone or talk smack or, 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 you know, what do they call it? Subtweeting, you know, when you kind of gas somebody up, like, um, Yes. Kind of gaslighting, but you're you're basically talking about people without calling them out. We all know yes. who we're talking about, so let, yeah. let's let's not use our workspaces right. for that. They should be used for good. Don't be the legion of doom. Be the super friends. Well, on that note, live out loud. Be the super friends. I can't believe we're at time, but that's all for today's episode of Brown Table Talk podcast. A very, very, very special thank you. Thank you, Gabrielle Union, for joining us for this important conversation. If you loved what we had to say, please leave a review, share with your friends and colleagues, and please pass it on to allies who are looking to do better and be better. And DNI, we'll see you real soon at the Brown Table Talk podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. A big shout out to LinkedIn, linking us all together, changing the face of what it is to be professional and making space for a lot more of us to enjoy the work that we do. Side effects of listening to Brown Table Talk may include allies unleashed, getting paid more, and a dose of badassery all the way around. More at www.browntabletalkpodcast.com.